I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown and here with you with James and Alan as always. Alan is back with us and I promise you that my connection is better this week as is my sound. I might go a little bit fuzzy on the YouTube stream but there will be no angry plate holders and smashing of glasses behind me this week. James is with me but Alan is back as well. Alan, how are you feeling? Yeah, good. Thanks. Very good. I'm, I'm glad you've uh, left the angry French behind and uh, you're with those pleasant, amicable uh, Italians. <laughs> yeah, I've got no a dramas bottle there. of Vera Moretti in my hand, so I'm, I'm going to be chilled out for this preview of the season and the preview of the weekend as well as Celtic kick off the season against Aberdeen. The Liam Scales Derby, I hear they're calling it, um, and it's going to be the biggest game of the season so far. That's what we're calling this game, the Liam Scales Derby. James, how are you getting on? I'm um, well, thank you. So, wh- where in the world is uh, Waldo today? Where are you? So, I am in somewhere in the Italian mountains, um, in between Florence and Bologna. So, somewhere there. I'm not exactly oh. sure what the place is that I'm that I'm staying in, but that's where I am geographically. Okay, good to know. So, there is a lot to get into this week there is the game this weekend which we will preview in a little bit more depth later on the show but we haven't really talked about the season coming up as a whole we've done transfers we've done things like that various discussions on how Celtic may play but in terms of the season that's coming this is a pretty big one Alan because look it's what they call second season syndrome for teams coming up from the championship into the Premier League it's a second year in charge for Ange Postacoglu it's really his, I'm deeming it his first proper season in charge because he had a full summer to himself. It's his team, it's his players, it's his squad that he put together. And the pressure is now all on him rather than when he came in first. People are already writing him off. Now he comes with the pressure of, okay, he's won the league title, they're in the Champions League, what are they going to do this year? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't quite go that far in the sense that I think we all kind of agreed that, you know, you need to give a manager probably three transfer windows. He's he's probably had two and a half or, or two. We're not even finished this one yet. Um, you know, uh, so I think I think probably still shaping the squad to, in his own image. I don't think we're there yet. Um, if, you know, listening to and reading seasoned Ange Watchers, um, the, the historical precedents for what they're worth seem to be that Season two is usually where you start to see the sort of the magic happen. So that's an enticing prospect. And um, I actually think that in pre-season, I know we've had various debates about, you know, to what extent it matters or doesn't matter. Is it relevant or irrelevant? I mean, I'm I'm kind of thinking my own view is that it, it, it's relevant to a point, right? And clearly there was no point in playing these games unless you're trying to get something out of them. So for the very least, you know, what is it you're trying to get out of them? What is it that you, that you can see? And I think what we've seen in pre-season um, in short bursts has been um, a, a tremendous uh, uptick in intensity of the way that Celtic are playing um, in terms of both you know, with, with and without the ball. And that means in a, a greater with the ball, a greater coherence around uh, attacking movement and, and more, more choreography, if you like, around 
midfielders attacking the box, especially um, more aggressive inverting of wingers, um, etc. So I think that that aspect of those attacking patterns have clearly been worked on, and I think there was great evidence of that in pre-season. And secondly, uh, without the ball, we've seen you know hyper aggressive pressing uh, without the ball, and and actually what that did because I think you know pre-season friendlies um, generally you know we. I think, as I've said many times before, it only takes one or two percentage points of any attribute to drop off, and it makes a massive difference. So a pre-season friendly generally doesn't have that intensity. So you, you're back in the, well, does this really matter? What am I learning from this kind of camp? But actually, if you look at the games that Celtic played, uh, they were generally, uh, apart from the first one, they were ge- and, and, and the 4-2 game against, I think, quite a poor Czech team, I think it was. The other games were actually played in a very competitive uh, way. And I think Celtic kind of were, were so aggressive in their pressing that the other teams thought, whoa, hang on, you, you you want it to be like that, do you? Right, come on then. You know, it's a bit like, you know, poking Michael Jordan at practice. You say, okay, then <laughs> the gloves come off and right, we're, gonna, we're really going to go at it, even though it's, it's a training session type of thing. So I actually think that for small amounts of time, usually up to 60 minutes maximum, those preseason friendlies were not a bad indicator of the things that Celtic have been working on and what we can expect to see, uh, and actually were, were, were better than average workouts for the team, irrespective of the results, because of, of we, we almost provoked the games to be played at quite an intensity for pre-season. Um, so uh, I think there was quite a lot of positives to take from that. I don't think I've actually answered your question, kind of wandered off there, but <laughs> about, 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 about how we're going to get gone. But what I'm saying is that in terms of you know, Postacoglu and season two, I think there's evidence there already that we're going to see quite a step forward in the coherence and the, um, the, the the ability of the team to play to the template he's trying to implement. Yeah, I, I think Dean Smith sort of alluded to what you're talking about there with the comments he made after the game in terms of Celtic's movement and the choreography of the of the play and and how intense their their play is at this stage of the season. One interesting point is. I don't know if you saw the most recent interview on 67 Hail Hail with, with Hamish and a former coach that worked with Ange. Not uh, yet. It's on, in, on my list. In, in Japan. Yeah, there's a great clip he put out on, on his Twitter where he, the coach is talking about the intensity of training and how training is as intense as it possibly can be and they only have two minutes to get to each drill and everything is done at a pace that is absolutely relentless, sort of like the style of football that he expects. So I do expect Celtic to go up another gear. I did a preview on this channel about a couple of days ago talking about it, James. And I was trying to imagine, like, what do I want to see from this season? And really it is just progression from last season. And if if it's progression from last season, then it's going to be pretty damn good, really. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree with Alan. I, I, I think that the, uh, the potential, particularly in the early stages of the season, and really August, like if you're a betting person, bet total goals over in most games. Um, I think that I think the the break even levels two and a half for Sunday. So I've already put a small coupon on the over for that. Uh, Celtics scoring more than two and a half goals, and I, I I think that we're likely to come out of the starting blocks here pretty explosively. Um, I, I had an exchange with, uh, 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 somebody today, uh, via DM and I, the way I characterized it, they had asked me about the kind of, you know, what looking forward to the season and, and the league campaign, um, C- Celtic with this ev- evolution with playing heart higher, it's really going to create a Sophie's choice for the opposition. Right. Do you actually, it's almost like a dangling enticement to get them to come out and press. Uh, and I think there's a reasonable narrative as to why that could be effective against Celtic against certain level of opponents, most of them not being domestic. Um, but that carrot could draw them out. Otherwise we're just going to, uh, cause people to bunker because of the, because of what Alan's saying, pointing out these, these, this movement that's now, I mean, it's crazy. You just watch what's going on with, um, the patterns of play and the movement. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be an absolute nightmare for domestic opposition, I think. Um, so if they do come out for a period of time, and I talked about this a little bit last season that, you know, one theoretical strategy against Celtic would be that early ambush, try to pick up a goal off of an early mistake 
with the high press and then bunker, that kind of thing. So I think that's still probably a, a way that a lot of domestic opposition are going to pursue. But that's opening themselves up to us just completely obliterating them. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of high score lines, um, particularly early in the season. My concern is more so everything you just talked about and the ability for the squad to endure all of this, given the fixture congestion because of the World Cup. Um, and depth is better, but outside of that kind of top 14, 15, I think we've had the consensus on the show so far that, um, you know, we're not more than one or two injuries away already from, unless there's significant changes here in the last few weeks of the window, uh, from McGregor or Kyogo, you know, a couple of key people if they're out for any significant period of time. Um, and we saw from last season, I, everything that I've heard and read, I don't see a shift in culture coming up as far as like dialing it back to manage the injury problems. Um, so depth will help that uh, to a degree. But if we're going balls to the wall in training every day, we're playing twice a week and, you know, not rotating the way that you'd probably ideally like uh, and going up against Champions League level competition where take that intensity up even higher. Um, I, I worry that as the season goes on, you know, kind of that the winter doldrums of January, February, and into March. Um, that's where my concern comes in. But I, I think, you know, for the first two, three months of the season, I think we're going to be, you know, independent of champions. I guess that's a separate issue. But domestically, I think there could be some real fireworks. Yeah. We'll touch on Champions League as well on this podcast, but just in relation to, I suppose, domestic things or the squad as a whole, somebody did a sort of a compilation video of Hatate in preseason and some of the things he's been doing in terms of his passing, some diagonal balls, which you might see a bit more often this season. But I I know season previews are a bit tough to look back on at times because you're making wild uh, predictions for the season. I've asked you to pick out a couple of things to look out for this season. But um, before we do that, let's talk about some players that we might want to watch this season and see how they progress. Hatate is the first person that I want to talk about here on um we initially came in obviously he had an amazing start and then he, we saw a little bit of a drop off in his performances he talked about being tired he had a long season before this he's finally had a bit of a break mentally and physically and now he's coming back in we all know the sort of work ethic that these japanese players do tend to have and um, I think we're going to see a lot of things from Rio Otate, a lot of good things from Rio Otate this year. And this could be the year that we see the animal that we sort of looked at in the data before, when, when he signed for Celtic first. Yeah, I think when he first, his first couple of appearances, um, there were moments, a lot of moments. And, then, and there were also, we saw hints of a very dynamic midfield player who is comfortable Running with the ball, taking, he's got that lovely ability just to, to turn his body quickly and move away from people without even having any great ground speed. Um, and his range of passing as well is, is exciting, really exciting. I think the first game he played against Hibs, I think it was, and you know, I just thought, wow, you know, the packing stats are going to take a pounding with this guy. He just looks like he wants to break lines all the time. Um, it didn't really pan out. He, he produced memorable moments in games. But if you actually looked at his underlying data, um, it, it, it didn't compare well to any of his peers, uh, Rogic, Turnbull, O'Reilly, you know, very low output overall. But because he produced some spectacular moments, uh, that's the things that people actually remember. So I, I was not concerned, but I was it was evident to me that, you know, he this is a guy that's going to is going to take a bit of time to settle um, and, and produce consistency. Um, and listen, you know, he's been very honest and open about problems he's had in terms of his own physical conditioning, um, just adapting culture, language and all that sort of stuff. And it's completely normal. Um, and, and, and as I say, I keep, I keep coming back to, I know you know, people will look at it and go, oh, he's 23, 24. He's a young player. He's a very young, inexperienced player. He's not got anything like the number of minutes in his legs that a 23-year-old uh, would have uh, in this in this country, uh, he, he's more like he's more like a twenty or a twenty-one-year-old in terms of his 
um, exposure to top-level football. So we, we need to be patient with him. Um, I think we've seen, again, glimpses over 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 periods of the pre-season friendlies where it seemed like you know his, his good patches were getting a bit longer and that, and that dynamism that we that, that was was um, hinted at was being shown to, to great effect so very excited to see him um O'Reilly again it was another one who similarly a young player who you know is he's, he's in the growth stage of his, his development as well and, and again he looked he looked a little bit quicker he looked a little bit more certain he looked a little bit more dynamic a little bit more adventurous even uh, so yeah, I think that those two, um, I'm, I would imagine, will be starting actually on on Sunday as mm. the first picks, um, and they looked with a real, full preseason under the belt and a full um, you know period of, of weeks on the on the on the training field, absolutely good to go. Yeah, o- O'Reilly is someone that I've picked out as probably my player of the year, and not very imaginative as you can as you can tell but we might come back to him just after one other person here James and that is uh, another midfielder in David Turnbull because I mean where do you start with him he you know he had a pretty solid season last year before his injury um, contributed quite a few goals quite a few uh, goal contributions on top of that and yet it just seems like he's sort of a peripheral figure at Celtic or in Celtic's midfield at the minute, especially with Hatate coming in, O'Reilly coming in in January, uh, Moy coming in now. You're almost wondering this starlet that looked like probably the future of Celtic's midfield two years ago is now a squad rotation player. I think that's true. I think, uh, you know, he's definitely got some aspects of his game that are still very high quality, but um relative to Ange's style of play some of his deficiencies i think get exposed particularly against higher quality um opposition so his lateral quickness isn't great his kind of directional speed isn't uh, or pace isn't the greatest um and you know his decision making at times uh particularly as it relates to kind of creative passing in the final third kind of is uh spotty shall we say so he, he he doesn't seem to have that range of passing hatate and um uh o'reilly have that kind of creative spark almost like uh Rogic, you know those through balls and the switches of play uh, he, he just doesn't quite seem to do that at the same level so i i think as far as a um as far as a rotational player, I think he's very good in that regard. I mean, in that it's unrealistic for us to think that we're going to have, you know, uh, two to three players re- of redundancy at every position at a, uh, you know, last eight Europa League level. Um, the question is whether or not he's content with that kind of role, given his career stage and his development. Um and what his kind of longer term career path would be. Uh, but, you know, as I said earlier, uh, my comments about uh, the amount of minutes, the, the fixture congestion, the desire for rotation, I think if we handle the schedule properly and do rotate properly, there should be ample opportunity for him to play. Um, and we're going to get quality out of him and good enough quality against, you know, eight, nine, 10 teams domestically that I, I think he, he could be invaluable. Hmm. He spoke about the competition between himself and O'Reilly and Hatate as well in the midfield. Last season, O'Reilly spoke, or Matt O'Reilly spoke about that as well and the rotation between them. Alan, is it unfair to say that, you know, rotation is a, like almost a, a dirty word when it comes to a player, that he's a squad rotation player? But, I mean, he's an important player as well as being someone who may not ever start every game because... He scored, what was it, five goals in the league last year as well as five assists. And, I mean, there's going to be rotation with the amount of games that Celtic play at the intensity that they play anyway. So it's almost like he is a first-team player regardless of whether he only starts once every three games. Yeah, I mean, I mean on Turnbull, people forget right, quite quickly that he was actually the, the mainstay of that midfield for half a season. He played virtually every minute up to the League Cup final when he got injured. Um, and he was producing a good level of goals and assists, but his underlying numbers were were improved on the season before. So, so for me, that fits the criteria that he was developing really nicely 
uh, along his career path, and I was really happy with him. And then because he wasn't in this team, because he had a bad injury and it took him a long time to come back, that sort of gets kind of narrative becomes, oh, he's, he's now only a squad player. So I don't see it that way at all. I think he's there to, um, you know, to battle for the other two for a, a first team spot. But again, this notion that we're going to, you know, it's not, not, not like the 1970s where, you know, Liverpool can play 60 games and use 16 players. It's just, we're just not, we're just so far from that now, right? And as James said, the intensity that, that Celtic play at, everyone's going to get their minutes. And if you, if you if we're back to five subs in a game, you're looking at, you know, 30, 30 40 minutes, potentially at minimum every game. And I'm sure there will be some rotation uh, around that as well. So hopefully there will. I'm hope that they're monitoring all the all the sports science KPIs and the triggers for saying you should probably not start this week and all that sort of thing. That's what the sort of thing I hope goes on. Um, so I, I don't, I've got no concerns over David Turnbull. I think he'll be a really valuable player for Celtic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I... I guess anybody who's on the bench is because Celtic do use mm. their subs. And um, that was a conversation we had multiple times last year is how are Celtic going to use their subs? And I think we saw more at the end of the season when everyone was fully fit and when Celtic did help that Celtic were thrashing teams like 5-0 every two weeks that they were able to make these substitutions. But um, I guess just moving forward before I get your picks for players to watch this year, um, Giacomakis is going to be an interesting player this season because, I mean, what an end to the season he had. Uh, he finished top goal scorer, I think, with his goal in the was it the last game of the season. He ended up being the top goal scorer. Uh, he got his opportunity. He took his opportunity. But it just still feels like Kyogo is the number one man when it comes to Ange ball and the Ange system. And even, I mean, I think most Celtic fans would probably admit that they pick you'll go over Giacomacus. So interested to hear what your thoughts are on the, the front three in general, be that with Jota now a, a permanent signing and Maeda coming into his, again, sort of Hatate similarities there with the, the, the rest that he got. So interested to get your thoughts on that front three makeup and who you think is going to be there. Yeah, I think, um, I think the nice part about the front three is that we've got the depth and quality now um, where if you need to give Maeda a break, you can have Jota on the left, Abado on the right, um, Kyogo through the middle, or yeah, I think the, the 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 starting eleven, let's say the preferred starting eleven at the highest level will probably be Maeda, uh, Kyogo, and and Jota. We'll see about that. Um, but I, I I think, and I've I've been fairly consistent on this, and my my views haven't really changed. I I think that the gap between Kyogo and Giacomacus is significant. Um, and, you know, the, the, the gap there doesn't get exposed much against most of the domestic competition. Um, and if, if you look at their performance profile, the, the, the issues that Giacomacus have, as Alan and I have talked about in the past, is on the ball. I mean, he's, he's just not that. I mean, all of the one-touch finishing that he's had has been amazing. Um, but the idea that that's going to persist at the level that it's been at, I think is probably unrealistic because it's been so good. Um, so when you get in, you know, when you're playing against a, a bunkered, um, you know, St. Johnston team at Celtic park, Jack Max is going to be, you know, fine. If not, maybe even on the margins, uh, possibly more helpful in that kind of situation than Kyogo. But when you get into, uh, the derbies or against, higher level teams in the champions league. Um, every time that, um, Jack Amakis fouls or every time he, uh, fumbles a ball or misplaces a link up play, which he does at a dramatically higher rate than Kyogo, those turn into transition opportunities for man city <laughs> or, uh, you know, the, the, or Salzburg or one, one of these other teams that we're going to face in the champions league. And, and that those, you know, negative actions, we'll call them, um, uh, are where I think the golf emerges because he's not a creative player, right? So he's, he's not going to create opportunities for his teammates like Kyogo does at, at a much higher rate. Um, so when you kind of factor all that in, you don't have the upside of creativity and you still have a lot of the downside of turning the ball over. Um, what you're left with is finishing and, and that will vary. Uh, even the best strikers will have periods when they're just not quite on it. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that that's where I think, you know, and it's, you know, spoiler, I, you know, Kyogo is our best player probably uh, or right there. And, and I, I think it's um, somewhat amusing uh, the degree with which I think he kind of is being not undersold, but kind of the relativism of the other players on, on uh, the squad. So I, I think as long as he can stay fit, which is a big question, um, you know, I, I think Kyoko is the, by far um, the standout player there. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about it is, is sort of like the Turnbull situation where, you know, Kyogo was out for so long last year that people forgot everything that he did prior to that. And prior to that was um, one of the best players that we've seen at Celtic for a long time. Um, going to play devil's advocate a little bit, Alan, just to throw this question at you as well. Um, in the Champions League, could Giacomakis play the sort of Georgia Samaras role that Samaras used to do um, back in the day where he was just an absolute nuisance to these sides uh, in a completely different way to what Kyogo would be. Kyogo is a nu- nuisance with his movement, but Giacomakis brings something different. Yeah, yeah I, I, I disagree a little bit with James. I mean, if you actually look at Giacomakis was closer to his expected goals than than, uh, than Kyogo was actually pretty much bang on the money. And if you if you look at the um, the shots that Giacomakis takes, they're beautifully clustered in the centre of the goal, right? quite intensely. So now you could argue in Europe that will he get that will he get that opportunity? But I think his movement, his special skill is that movement, that one to two yard movement in the box to get onto things, and the fact he as long as he gets some part of his body on it, uh, he seems to be able to put it on target. Uh, and I think that scales pretty well to the highest level because they're they're the sort of chances you're going to get. You know, he gets a a toenail or his backside on it as it flashes across the goal. You'd fancy him to get it on target. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I completely agree with James in terms of link up. I mean, he's three he's three times less creative than Kyogo in terms of expected assists and so forth. But I think in, in you know he I think he's one of the smartest bits of recruitment uh, I've seen at Celtic. Because I, I, you know, I, I was pretty disparaging of him when I first saw him because I look at, I look at technical ability, I look at first touch, I look at balance, I look at awareness, I look at all these things. But actually, for the role that he's been asked to do, he's actually super skilled in in the precise areas he needs to be to perform the role he's asked to do. Um, so I, I don't actually have any worries about him playing yeah. in those games can at I, all. Can I, can I just butt in there and just ask a, a very broad question that? I don't want it to lead to a 30-minute conversation, but it could well do. Um, is there an argument to be made then that Celtic might play a more effective brand of football when Giacomacus is the striker because they know he's going to be in those positions to get that one-touch finish? I, I remember a couple of years ago, Man City did that with Raheem Sterling. Pep Guardiola was like, well, what can I do with this guy? He can't finish, he can't shoot. Okay, I'll get him in the six-yard box and he'll tap the ball in. Is there an, an argument to be made that Celtic maybe play a little bit more effectively when Jack Marcus is in there because they're playing to his strengths and that leads to more effective chances? No, I mean, listen, I'm I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to sort of you know a little bit of kind of forcing a debate to some extent because I, I do believe Kyogo is a far superior footballer, but I, I wouldn't worry about Jack Marcus playing so much, um, because you, what you'll get with Kyogo is better quality movement and more options in terms of and a better early. Yeah, well, in terms of going early, going going longer, going quicker, um, the, you know, you need you need to be quick and 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 you need to be accurate to unlock this quality defensive Celtic will face. And so, I guess Kyogo, to use a lazy expression, is probably you know Kyogo is more of a a sort of a rapier as opposed to a blunderbuss sort of thing. You know, he's a bit more subtle as a footballer, which is kind of what you need overall. But I I, I wouldn't discount um, Jackamakis because I don't think he needs to be have the skills of um, of a of a Benzema or a Thierry Henry or something like that to be an effective striker in this Celtic team, he just needs to bloody well get on the ball in the middle of the six yard box and get something on it. Right. So that that's where again for seven, eight, maybe nine teams domestically, I think that that's not going to be a problem because they're going to be bunkered and we're going to dominate. And it, this season, it's probably going to be even more absurd in that degree uh, or in that department um, and the degree. My, my concern is very specifically for the Champions League. So, and I pulled up a couple of, of figures here. So, um, Kyoko averaged about 50% more passes in open play than 
uh, Jackamacus. Uh, Jackamacus had uh, basically one in four passes uh, was a turnover. Okay. Kyogo's is one in 10. Right. So again, if you think about that relative, so Kyogo is actually doing something when he passes the ball, meaning that he's more skilled and creating chances for his teammates. Whereas Jackamacus, the, the risk reward of him touching the ball at all is very bad, right? Outside of the box. And if we're playing, because we're a pot four team, we're going to be playing very, unless we get the inside straight draw. <laughs> in, in, no, we won't. Well, I keep <laughs> I, 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 I keep uh, doing black magic and various voodoo things to try and uh, get that to happen. But, um, you know, if we draw a certain caliber of team, just the practical reality is that we're probably going to like we did to a degree in Betis and Lever against Leverkusen. And we're probably going up a notch from those two teams, if not two notches in some instances in opposition. It's going to be more counter oriented. I mean, the idea that we're just going to impose our will against Man City or that ilk is not a high likelihood. So it's going to be more of a transition kind of game. Um, and that's where, you know, how do we get out of our own end if it's Jackamacus as the focal point to try and, you know, the hold up play and people always oh, big he'll get on the ball. That's great. He might. And then what's he going to do with it? And that's where the profile is there is that, it works out negatively a lot more um, where he just gives it back to the opposition. And, and I think that that's my concern. I, I agree, you know, inside that kind of 12 yard area, if he gets that chance, um, you know, but my concern is against a lot of those teams. We not may not, we may only get one or two of those um, off of set pieces or, uh, from open play where we actually have build up possession and control around the opposition box um, for any s significant period of time. And again, he's not facing center backs from Motherwell and St. Johnston. He's facing, you know, another caliber of defenders as well. Um, so that that's my broader, it's not only his skill set; it's how it kind of interrelates with how we're likely to have to play against some of these teams. And um, you know, where we're going to end up increasing pressure on ourselves as opposed to diffusing it um, and, and losing those chances. I mean, we, we literally may only get three or four good transition opportunities in some of these games. And I, th I just have a much higher confidence that Kyogo is going to be able to play a productive role to capitalize on those kind of situations over. Um... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Jackamacus. Yeah. Uh, let's talk briefly about the Champions League then because, I mean, we'll do a proper Champions League pre a preview when we have the group stages. But last time Celtic were in the group stages of the Champions League was 2017-18. 
Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Anderlecht were the opponents. Uh, 5-0 defeat to Paris Saint-Germain at Celtic Park. Uh, 3-0 win away to Anderlecht. Beaten 3-0 by Bayern Munich uh, away from home. Beaten 2-1 away uh, at home to Bayern Munich. Beaten 7-1 away to Paris Saint-Germain. And beaten 1-0 to Anderlecht in the final game of the group stage of Celtic. Uh, went through into the Europa League from that um, with a negative goal difference of uh, minus 13 <laughs> in the group stages of the Champions League that season. Um, look, this is going to be a difficult enough uh, Champions League re- sort of return for Celtic. It's been so long since they've actually been here. Would, are we expecting anything from Celtic in the Champions League this year? I, My prediction really is just that they're going to be the most fun team to watch. Uh, and that's taken the biases out of me supporting them. Uh, I, I sat in the pub watching the Betis game with a friend who actually dislikes Celtic to an extent, um, and he was really enjoying watching them play, and he couldn't believe how open the football was and couldn't believe how well they were playing and how nicely they actually played. So I think my prediction for this Champions League is we may not get through from the group stages, but I do think Celtic will be a lot of fun to watch in these Champions League games. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't know it'll be that different depending on the draw to what, this, what you just read out, but I'm pretty confident that um, Postacoglu will believe that he can go toe-to-toe and, and impose his style of play on the opposition. And whether we like it or not, that is how it's going to be. And, you know, history shows us there's some merit in that. You know, you, you, what, you, you, if you change the way you play, you might you might hold out, you might lose 2-0, um, etc. But you, you probably won't, won't give yourself any chance of winning. Um, so... I, I I don't have any great expectations in terms of outcomes, and you know, because I, I just think the golf in um, you know ability in terms of the types of teams more actually in pot two than pot one. Pot two is just incredibly strong, um, and and you, we're going to get two of the big ones, and then probably somebody awkward as well. So, listen, yeah. Well, will I read out the pots just so people? People know what, what we're talking about here. It's um, the same every year, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Pot yeah. one has Real Madrid, Frankfurt, Man City, AC Milan, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain, Porto, Ajax. Then pot two, amazingly, uh, you are correct. It probably is stronger. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Seville, RB Leipzig, and Tottenham. And then pot three is Borussia Dortmund, Salzburg. Uh, Shakhtar, Donetsk, Inter Milan, Napoli, Sporting, and Bayer Leverkusen. So, um, quite a strong couple of pots there in terms of who we might yeah. be playing against. I mean, listen, you saw you saw the art of the possible last year in these games where you know injury ravaged, incoherent team playing to a particular pattern put in some pretty decent performances against very good sides. But as James rightly says, the ones we'll play will probably be a notch above. So I, listen, I can't, as I say, I can't honestly sit here and claim that we're going to maybe get, get through that group uh, or, or get many points, but I think it's vitally important that we, we put, we make a good impression. And the reason I say that is, is more of a sort of longer term thing where, you know, just look at what happened last year. You know, there, there's there's no way, there's no way in the world that you know um, the Rangers get twenty million pounds for Calvin Bassey if it hadn't been for the exposure of a European run. You know, any player that's gone for anything like that, Scotland has usually put together two or three seasons of of consistent high class performances, not not six months of good form. Uh, the kid might turn out to be a really great player. We, we, you know, we'll wait and see. Um, but that, that is a literally incredible amount of money. For the le- for the level of play that he'd shown over the level of period that he'd shown, and that's because mainly, as I say, because of the exposure at the European level. So it's absolutely vital for Celtic that even if we do get crushed, that we put in a damn good show because um, people will see that and people will notice. Um, and you know, Celtic have got a pretty good record uh, of of um, in in that when teams have signed players from Celtic over the last ten years for big money, they've generally worked out very well for the buying teams. We've got a good reputation in that regard, and that's important. Um, not I'm trying to sell all our players, but, um, you know, we're on a knife edge again this season. You know, the league champions get into the Champions League again. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot at stake in winning the league this season. Uh, and if we don't, we're likely to have to sell somebody. And if we've had it, if we've made a decent fist of it in Europe and, and at least 
put in good performances, and as you say, be being exciting, being dangerous. No doubt, there'll be some plucky defeats on the end of that, um, but people will see that and they'll say they'll recognise the the level that we're playing at, and and that will make the players you know add value to the players and to the assets, which helps us to kind of grow uh, going forward. So for me, it's, it's all uh, you know. Not be surprised to hear me say it's all about performance. I'm not expecting great results, but we have to you know we have to perform. James, yeah. So I actually wrote a piece about this last week. Um, I I, th- I really do think it has a lot to do with the draw, um, because if you look back at last season, which I did in part of the piece, um, you know Leverkusen and Betis, as good of teams as they are and were, um, they're not particularly aggressive when it comes to kind of midfield and and uh, high pressing. I mean, they're functional in that regard, but they're not what you would characterize as a top level uh, tier of of aggressiveness in in that phase of the game so you know the inside straight would be obviously frankfurt that's who everyone wants to draw um and and you know as good as they are atletico madrid is not really that kind of team either um and you know a uh, a shakhtar is not that kind of team to that degree either so if you get those kind of three teams then i would say hey we've or even a leverkusen again Right. So you'd have, I think, a puncher's chance where, you know, the uh, the hyper aggressive Ange ball, we could win a four three game instead of losing a four three game like we did against Betis or, um, you know, the kind of Leverkusen three two game in in Germany. So I think we'd have a puncher's chance and maybe have a decent group and maybe even, you know, swing third place um, with that kind of inside straight. My fear is if we get the higher level teams that are functional to high end in pressing like a Salzburg and pot three, like um, Ajax and Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, um, even Barcelona with the way they've kind of recalibrated under Xavi is more in that direction now, as opposed to how they had been Um you know, in the messy era. So I, I, those kind of teams, I'm a lot more afraid because I, I think if we try to play out from the back against a functional high end um, pressing side that also has the quality to make it to punish you. Um, I have nightmares about that uh, where you could, you know, kind of go back to some of the pace things that we got uh, in the Rogers era Um you know, and, and that's, I, I don't want to get embarrassed. I mean, that's the thing. Um, and that, that's my fear is that we could get a real pasting against one of these teams if they have a good finishing day, um, you know, like PSG did it, I think, in that 7-0 game or 7-1. I mean, they, just, you know, they scored on like 80% of their shots. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you face these kind of teams with this quality of player, um, you know, you, you give them three in XG or four in XG, they can put up six, seven, eight, nine goals. <laughs> um, and that's not even where you're saying, okay, you're having a flub at the back where you end up with, you know, Mbappe one-on-one with Joe Hart. Or, you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> Hart's 40 yards from goal. <laughs> uh, so that, that's where I'm, I, I, I have, uh, you know, the sleepless nights as if that were to, uh, to occur. So if we get a decent draw, you know, if you, if you just get one of those kind of teams in an Atletico and a Bayer Leverkusen, then I think we can put up a good showing. But if we get two or three of those kind of teams, then it's just going to be, I think, really difficult. Mm. From a results point of view, I would not want to get Liverpool. But from a pure football entertainment point of view, I'd love to get Liverpool. I think it would be an amazing occasion, first of all, and then just an amazing game because both teams will just go at it for the uh, 180 minutes of the, the two games. But I, on Alan's point, on the player's point, I would be more worried about a certain manager being seen to be doing really in- exciting and interesting things in the Champions League um, as opposed to Celtic's players. Uh, that would be the only thing that would be concerning to me is that if Celtic actually do something really good in the Champions League or in Europe this year, that 
people will start paying paying attention to what Ange Postecoglou is doing at the club. So um, that's the Champions League. We will do a proper preview and an in-depth look at the groups when we do have the draw. But we do have... Uh, sorry, Enda, just, sorry, Enda, just one question. What, what port are Manchester United in? I didn't quite... Hmm. I don't think they're in a pot yet. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, my, my they're, they're away to pot. That's, that's the pot they're in. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, we do have a game to look forward to this weekend, and we do have a, a you know a league to look to defend, a league title to defend. Um, before we get into the game and the game specific, specifics, and I did ask you to pick a player to watch for this season. Who you think? is going to be probably either the most improved player this season that we're going to see more of uh, from last year or a player that uh, you think is going to absolutely explode this year. So, James, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I, I think uh, as long as he you know, plays 30-plus uh, league games, um, I think Kyogo is going to have a huge season um, and, and um, be a vitally important player in the Champions League if we are going to have some success there. Um, so I think he's the most important player. And, and um, you know, if he, if he uh, stays fit, I think we'll probably have a good shot at, at uh, player of the year. The goal scorers tend to get the glory, as we all know. Um, so I, as far as, uh, you know, maybe a surprise kind of um, uh, most improved, uh, I, I think based off of just what we saw, last season um you know it, i don't think it's a shocking one but it, it, we've already talked about his hatate i mean i i think he could be a truly elite level player uh whereas he didn't look like that in his, in his as we've talked about in his brief time um so i i think that's um th- those are the two that i think are just poised to be uh huge this season alan yep so i think in terms of improvement I'm going to go with O'Reilly. He's young. He's got, I think, a massive ceiling to still to climb towards in terms of his potential. Um, players like that, players at that age, don't tend to win Player of the Year. I don't think he'll win that. But I think in terms of improvement, we'll see another step forward from him. I mean, it's, it's just little glimpses in preseason. He just looks. I mean, when when he, I think the goals that he scored. I, I, I'm not being honestly not being clever after the fact. I actually called the goals before he even hit the ball. It was that confident he was going to hit it. He just his body shape is, he just looked like he knew exactly what he was doing. I just I just think his brain just moves quicker than anyone else on the pitch, uh, and and uh, he's, he's just you know he's got a, a credible future ahead of him. In terms of player of the year, last year I would have given it to Carter Vickers. His main attributes. Is really is his level of consistency of performance, and so I'm going to I'm going to go again that Carter Vickers will actually be the the player of the year uh, throughout the season. I think he'll play virtually every game. There's no he's got hasn't actually got any competition. So just just I don't I agree with what James said about Kyogo, but I just don't think he'll play that as many minutes uh, to to you know to to be up there for that kind of award. But I think Carter Vickers will be Celtic's most consistent player, and I think player of the year should go to players who play at a, a good not necessarily have the highest level, but have the best level consistently over a season. Yeah. I think he, he's, the, he's the one that I think shows that shows that um, performance level, if you like. We might try to do sort of player tracking this season if we have the opportunity, especially when I get back, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on individual performances as well as sort of the team performances uh, that come across the season. I are very revealed that I think it's going to be Matt O'Reilly. I think he's going to be the best player in the league next year, and I think it's going to be quite obvious that he's going to be the best player in the league uh, next year as well. Uh, Hatate, I see great things for next season. And as well as that, I think, you know, Anthony Ralston could be pushing uh, Juranovic for that starting right-back slot really, really hard this year. I think we were seeing already in preseason, people are, I know social media isn't a great barometer of these things, but people are already catching up with the fact that Ralston's delivery is that little bit better than Juranovic's delivery as well. So, I mean, it's a high ceiling for um, the likes of him as well. So let's see, wait and see. Hopefully he will have uh, the sort of season that he did have last year and he continues on. But uh, more importantly, uh, how is Liam Scales going to play this weekend in the Liam Scales derby when Celtic take on Aberdeen on Sunday? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, what chance have Celtic got? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure he can't play, right? I don't think he can play in all seriousness. I don't think he can play. No, I'm, against, no, uh, no, I'm not sure. I'm not uh, sure. Which, which is absolutely devastating for Aberdeen because he's clearly the, you know, the best player that they've ever ever had. So it's a massive blow for well, them. Clearly, the skills yeah, can't clearly. play. <laughs> yeah. No, look, they've, they've, they've had a terrific season. And I mean, it's difficult, you know, they're playing against um, lower league teams, but then we've seen <laughs> we've seen a few examples where that's not worked out too well for some of the other Premier League sides and mentioning no names. But um, they've they've done, a, done, done, done the job and they've seemed to have assimilated uh, a large number of new signings. I'll, I'll not I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about them. Uh, I, I, know, I know James was pretty disparaging last season uh, about the um, the fit of the players that they picked. And I think they've got a new goalkeeper now as well. Um, I think uh, Joe, Joe Lewis did a bit going over the, over the curve in that respect. Um, so I'll let him chime in on the actual signings that they've made. But can't argue with the start they've made, 12 goals, none against the... Also performed quite well in pre-season for what that what, what you want to read into that. So listen, we're going to be facing a really confident side, and that's great. It's going to be hopefully they'll they'll feel they can have a go and uh, try and attack Celtic. Um, but I, I kind of agree with James. I'm not. I don't tend to try and uh, predict, and certainly don't like predicting big wins. But you just get the feeling if Postecoglou Celtic click in the for the glimpses that we saw in pre-season when the games were were kind of active that first sort of 45, 50 minutes of games. You sort of think, whoa, you know, if you're if you're if you're SPFL level opposition, that's going to be really hard to deal with. So I'm I'm expecting a really exciting game. Actually, I think everybody will give it a good go. I think Celtic will, will probably win. I think we'll see some fireworks. Yeah, I, I, um, so Aberdeen upgraded their analytics staff um, sometime in the autumn last year, uh, and I think their transfer window reflects that. Uh, last summer's was shockingly incoherent and bad in my estimation i said it at the time um and this season i see a lot more coherence i think goodwin is um you know he, he's a I, from what i've seen again i, I don't pretend to have watched a, a ton of saint Mirren games a fair amount uh when he was there but uh, even when he would face celtic a, at least a level of coherence because again that, that's the standard domestically i mean you get so many people that are incoherent that uh when you just a level of coherence brings out um a, a, a huge relative advantage so i think goodwin is a a a uh, at least a decent manager if not a good one he's not going to do you know completely ridiculous moronic things um which can't be said all the time for for other op- opposition so i i think um aberdeen's likely to f- fight for third this season um and their underlying metrics actually were decent last year. And, and to Alan's point, they addressed one of their glaring problems the last few seasons, which was Lewis at keeper, who's, who was just really bad uh, from an underlying performance metrics, like one of the worst players in the league. Um, so that that just getting somebody reasonably competent at keeper might, you know, earn them a lot more points. Uh, so specifically for this weekend against us, you know, I again, if, if – um, if they do try to play us with any degree of progressive um, strategy, I think we'll, we'll punish that um, pretty badly. And um, Mm -hmm. so I think that might start and then they might get into damage limitations mode uh, in in, sometime in the first half or early in the second. Um, Cause it, again, the the golf is just uh, significant to begin with from a quality perspective and the way that we're moving directionally as far as you know, taking this more fulsome uh, implementation of of Ange's style of play and refining it, and players comfortable with it in the full preseason, I just think it's a really daunting task for somebody like um, Aberdeen, let alone on Trophy Day at home. You know, decent weather probably. I haven't looked at the forecast like that matters a few days out in Glasgow, but um, so you know, I, I I think it's a tough mix for 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 Aberdeen um but generally I'm mm-hmm. pretty bullish on Aberdeen in the league for the for the season a couple of bits of news today um Ainge confirmed that Starfelt is going to be missing for this game as is uh, Itaguchi so we're like I think Jens as well yeah I saw Jens picked up something in training didn't I see that he wasn't mentioned as being 
No, Anji didn't mention the thing. And... Okay. Well, good. So, the likelihood is we're probably going to be looking at uh, the same starting lineup that started against Norwich in the last game of season. Again, Celtic have rejected apparently a 3.5 million bid from Toulouse for Stephen Welsh. I think that's their second bid now for the defenders. So, the starting lineup, is Stephen Welsh going to be here in a couple of weeks? Is he going to be someone that's going to be there as a, a backup to the defence or how are we expecting the starting lineup to be? Yeah, I think it'll be largely very predictable. Um, I think Welsh will start because that's just the least risky option and he's started most of the pre-season games. So Ange isn't one for playing cat and mouse with lineups. So I think it'll be pretty close to, you know, I think Taylor will start. Um, I think it'll be McGregor, Hatati, O'Reilly, Yota, Maeda and Kyogo. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of drama around the lineup. Um, I think it's interesting they've knocked back two bids for Welsh. Um, I'm I'm still in the quite not quite convinced camp, but on the same by the same token, I couldn't sit here and tell you the guy has been disastrous or he's he's you know he's not worth as a young player. Uh, to seeing how he develops, he absolutely is. My biggest concern about him is, like Starfelt, his, his sort of du- his dual win rate is just below my benchmark for what I think a good Celtic centre goes. And it's mainly down to aerial lack of aerial uh, ability in terms of winning headed duels, which, as we know in Scotland, unfortunately, is a uh, is something which which, which uh, is important. I don't, I don't think Jens has been in the door long enough. I liked the thirty minutes that I saw of him. I think he's going to offer something a little bit different. Um, it's like it's like having a younger, slightly faster Julian, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you know, again, like Turnbull last season, people are very quick to forget how effective Julian was when he signed for Celtic. Um, so, anyway, long story short, I think I don't think uh, Jens will start. I think it'll be, uh, I think it will be Welsh. But it's an interesting one that we're, we're knocking back reasonable money for someone that, you know, with the scouting that we've shown in the last kind of year. You know, three and a half million. If you said go and replace Welsh, I reckon we could probably come up with somebody pretty decent. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the other interesting part to me is not only that there's interest, but who's the interest from? And Toulouse is um, uh, part of a broader one of these groups that uh, ownership groups. I think they're backed by Redbird Capital, um, and they've you know embraced kind of the money ball quote unquote approach. Um, and, you know, kind of work their way up out of uh, the second division in, in France to get back up into the top top division. Um, so, again, uh, Alan and I talked a lot about how he's improved on the ball um, and in the right league, in the right system, and playing on the right side. <laughs> you know, again, he's it's another thing. I mean, he's hardly gotten to play at right center back for Celtic. He, you know, it's, it's we keep putting these players on the left that maybe don't suit the left all that um well. And uh so I, I could see him being, you know, uh, an attractive candidate uh for a team that's looking for a very specific profile and Toulouse fits that kind of club now where they're going to see a specific profile that uh, suits the way that they're looking to play um, and plug in somebody like a, a Welsh to, to kind of optimize what his strengths are relative to his weaknesses. I don't think the French league's particularly aerial uh, as, as European leagues go um, it tends to be more on the ground. So that, that would certainly suit him. Um, so again, to, to Alan's point is Given the way we're using him, is Welsh, you know, somebody that we can't replace? I don't think so. I think it would actually be uh, not that difficult because um, we're not really using him in a way that's going to be optimizing his development and and um, you know his his strengths because we're playing him on the left to a degree. Uh, so you know, I suspect I I I'm still I'm still cautiously. Uh, concerned about um if that's a the way to say it that's a clumsy clumsy i'm a little concerned that we're not selling anyone this summer let's put it that way um mm. you know i i think the discipline of that <laughs> this time yet <laughs> well that's right and and that's you know um i've i've been out on a ledge i you know if we can get 10 15 million for juranovich i mean i'd hit that bid so fast you could it would make your head spin uh people talking 20 25 million i think it's nuts um 
So, you know, I, again, because I think if you get that kind of money with reasonable scouting, you can replace him um, uh, and, and still bank some money. And, and I think that, that that discipline of selling people when you should sell them, right? Juranovic, Juranovic is 27. Yes, he's international. Yes, it's a World Cup season. Like there's a lot of things you can project onto him that's very positive right now. Well, that's usually, like Alan said with Bassey, he's coming out of this amazing European run. You know, that's a sell high. It's like sell high, buy low. Uh, I, I don't think Juranovic is probably going to have a much better time. Maybe this year. Um, after the World Cup, January. After, maybe. But what if he has a bad World Cup? You know, it's, it's, that's the thing. So mm. it, it's um, so I, I think uh, not selling anybody by the end of this uh, coming month. Um, you know, we still have a lot of needs, as I don't know I've talked about. Like at that, at that European level, we're still in need of some uh investment and and um you know and it's not one you know we don't just need one guy to cap it off uh so to be able to create more resources to address multiple needs i think would be a a positive thing and if if doing that with welsh could be part of it i would be fine with that mm-hmm. yeah just to update uh, to correct myself on the stephen welsh uh, situation it was a season-long loan with an option to buy of 3.5 million is what to lose wanted that's the what um anthony joseph Sens- is uh, sensible. reporting to it mm. yeah they're not dumb money um, that's the thing yeah, 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 uh, yeah. you go you go back to your counterparties and i i've said this at the time right when leverkusen bought Frimpong for you know 12 million and people were raving oh that's such good business that doesn't look so good when bassy goes for 20 right uh and Frimpong's been a you know legit european level fullback and he wasn't down to one year or anything like that you know leverkusen's a reasonably smart uh counterparty brentford is a smart counterparty right yeah. so when well, you have smart, smart counterparties are the people looking to buy uh you know you usually um you, you should progress with some caution uh because c- they're they're usually not throwing money down the drain We've got a we've got a lot long way to go, right? In terms of the rebuild, as I said, we're not we're not there yet. You know, if I look through the first team squad, there's still I would I would argue probably five players there that you know I I, I wouldn't have in the first team squad, okay? And you know that they they are places that you want to have people pushing first team places for. So I still think there's a long long way to go. Actually, probably six. I forgot I forgot McCarthy. So you know, yeah, there's still there's still, there's still I think it's still an awful long way. Oh, I think we just lost Alan as he was uh, in did. his uh, mid-rant there. So, um, to the vortex. Yes, exactly. I think we're pretty much about to wrap up this before, and, and we'll give Alan two minutes just to get back. But um, on Frimpong, Frimpong's going to be a 50 million player probably in the next two years or so. Um, I think Alan has just come back to us now. Alan, yeah, sorry, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> okay, you were mid rant and uh, I cut you off. It was <laughs> no, quite right, time. quite right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we were just about to finish this off. Anyway, what I was saying was that like Frimpong is going to be a fifty million pound player next year, probably. He's already been linked with moves like that. He's already been linked with moves uh, to much higher clubs than Bayer Leverkusen, which is saying something because Bayer Leverkusen are a, a pot ahead of us in the Champions League right now. So, um, yeah, look, there's going to be loads of developments. I think Ange also confirmed that he's happy that he's addressed a couple of places in the, the rec- recruitment uh, situation, but is still expecting some activity um, in the next couple of weeks. Mikey Johnson is probably going to be a player that's going to be leaving the club on loan. Ange uh, was asked about him and said maybe, you know, he's he's got a lot of talent, but maybe Celtic's not the best place for him to develop. And, you know, if that's the best thing is for what Mikey Johnson, uh, for his professional career, it's whether it's at Celtic or not is is irrelevant uh, in in terms of that. So, um, just to finish off the podcast, then, um, both expecting a result this weekend. First off, first off, yes, yes, sir, comfortable one. Yeah, quick uh, fire. Uh, Sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, quick fire. Sorry, Are Celtic going to win the league? I think so. Yeah, I, I'm uh, obviously I, that's the the hope. Um, 
I'm nervous. It's quick fire, James. Yeah, fifty-fifty. Yes, but fifty-fifty. I'm uncomfortably nervous okay. on 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 that. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get a result anyway, and uh, we will be with you across the season again as we kick off the 2022-2023 SBFL season. If you want to support the channel, do hit subscribe to the YouTube channel where we will be uploading this podcast every week. You can get the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on uh, on Twitter, which is at the Huddle Breakdown, or at Huddle Breakdown, rather. And um, you can follow James at Juco James on Twitter and Alan at Celtic by Numbers. I'm Enda underscore call on Twitter as well if you want to follow along for the season. And if you do actually want to go the extra step to support the channel, you can hit the link in the description below and download the One Football app because they're uh, sponsoring uh, some things on the channel over the coming season as well. So that's the best way to support the channel over the next couple of weeks as we get into the new season for the SBFL. Hope everybody enjoys it and I hope you enjoy the huddle breakdown across the season as well. James Allen, thanks as always. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the game. Okay, we, we will be back with you next week. Good luck. Good luck.